1: what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole, leading functional medicine expert and best-selling author. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers. This is the art of being well. What's up, everyone? It's Dr. Will Cole, and welcome to The Art of Being Well. I am a leading functional medicine expert. I get to consult people around the world via webcam. I started one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago, and I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I wrote Ketotarian, The Inflammation Spectrum, and my newest book, Intuitive Fasting. If you want to learn more about my clinical work, the telehealth center, or... The books, and there's loads of free content on the, on the site as well. It's all at drwillcole.com. That's D R W I L L C O L E.com. Let's get to today's guest. He's a good friend of mine. His name is Tero Isakopala, or I just call him Taro. He is the founder of Four Sigmatic, which is a functional foods company helping to elevate people's wellness with the world's most nutrient-dense ingredients. And we get into all of that today. Taro's roots or mycelium, if you will, you'll understand that play on words soon enough, are in Finland where he grew up growing and foraging natural foods on his 13th generation family farm. What the heck? That's so awesome. He later earned a degree in chemistry business and a certificate in plant-based nutrition at Cornell University. In 2012, Taro founded Four Sigmatic with the dream of bringing a Little everyday magic to the lives of all. An expert in all things related to nutrition, health, and wellness, Taro is the author of two best selling books Healing Mushrooms, which is an educational cookbook from Avery Publishing, which is also published my first two books, and Santa Sold Shrooms, which we talk about today, which is a children's book for adults about the magical origins of Santa Claus. I actually read it to my kids as well, it's for kids and families alike, or just if you want to read about the awesome historical roots of Santa Claus and the connection to shrooms, and it's so fascinating, and we talk about it in today's episode. He is currently writing his next book as well, which we're really excited about. Tara was chosen twice as one of the world's top 50 food activists by the Academy of Culinary Nutrition and has appeared in Time, Forbes, BuzzFeed, Vogue, Playboy, GQ, Harper's Bazaar, and Bon Appetit. He is also a sought-after speaker featured at Summit Series, Wonderlust, Google, and the Fast Company Innovation Festival. Today, we talk about so many exciting things. We talk about Tara's background in nutrition, health and wellness, and how Four Sigmatic came to be. We talk about breaking down what an adaptogen is and the immense benefits they hold, We talk about the different ways we can utilize natural herbs, adaptogens, and medicinal mushrooms. We talk about the subject of quality of our ingredients and foods. We talk about the difference between psychedelics and adaptogens and medicinal mushrooms when it comes to mushrooms. And we also talk about the ancient traditions and stories surrounding the origins of Santa Claus. Spoiler alert, Santa Claus was a shaman, y'all. Just wait. And we talk about Tarot's favorite Four Sigmatic products that it utilizes every day and how Tarot relates to the art of being well. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Tarot. My friend, Tarot, it's been too long, man. What the heck? (laughs) Too long. I know. Um,
0: Normally we meet in conferences and events and obviously, uh, less of those these days
1: I know it. it's like the past year and a half like it's been crazy that um, we keep in touch here and there but it's not the same it's definitely not the same but I'm excited that we're talking now so I've known you for a long time, and I've been a major fan of your work from day one, as soon as I heard about you guys and what you were doing. Can I call you the king of mushrooms? Have people called you the king of mushrooms before? <laughs> yeah, in- they do. I don't know if
0: that's <laughs>
1: true, though, but yeah, people do. So I mean, in my heart, you're the king of mushrooms, So Thank I mean, you. I, I'm in my little bubble here, but I think it's true for the world as well. Um, yeah. So tell me about, for people that are new to what we're talking about, mm-hmm. what is your heart? What's your passion? And uh, yeah, tell us about Four Sigmatic.
0: Sure. So um, my name is Taro and it's an odd Scandinavian name. I grew up in Finland at our family farm that we've had for at least 13 generations since sixteen, nineteen. My mom taught physiology and anatomy um, and my dad was an acronymist. So my mom was the science and my dad was the nature. And I learned from both of them. So I started foraging for wild foods early on when I was yay high. Uh, But I also went to my mom's classes and learned about, you know, the fundamentals of how does the human body work. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and our farm is in Nokia, Finland, or across the lake from Nokia. So I had always this like odd trifecta of health or physiology and then nature And then technology, and I think those have defined also who I've become with my own twist. Mm -hmm. I studied chemistry, um, then nutrition, and then finally business. And I've lived in 10 countries, and uh, uh, the last five years or so, I've been in the U.S. trying to help people eat healthier. And uh, Four Sigmatic is a company I founded, where a functional foods company, best known for mushrooms and adaptogens, uh, but we take these four sigmatic ingredients, which is very nerdy, but it basically just means the top 100 most researched foods in the world, and the list gets updated every now and then. But we take these super well studied foods—some familiar, some more exotic—and we put them to everyday staples like coffee, tea, cocoa, protein, skincare. Uh, but mm-hmm. try, like a Trojan horse, like try to give people really nutrient dense foods without them even knowing it. So. Mm-hmm. That's kind of brief. My brief story and what four Sigmatic is.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, in my from my functional medicine perspective, I was writing about adaptogens and the science around it and the research around it uh, in the early days when there was a lot of early conversations about it. And you were having that a major conversation. And I, I, I again, I may I'm biased because I know you, but and <laughs> I, I feel like everybody is I mean, more aware of adaptogens now and more aware of mushrooms, but that conversation in a large part was started in as far as the pop awareness of it today because of you. Uh, do you realize that? I mean, do you disagree with me on that? I mean, I, I have to give you credit well, for that.
0: Um, thank you. It's kind of like, yeah, I think like the real founder of adaptogens as we know today is like, Dr. Lazarov, who did the studies for the Soviets. Before that, it was a lot of the herbalists in certain countries, mostly in uh, Ayurveda and TCM. And then in the West, David Winston probably is the kind of one of those founding herbalists that mm-hmm. pushed the adaptogen movement. Him and Stephen Mames wrote the kind of the original Western book about it. Similar to mushrooms, there's many mycologists that have been groundbreaking. Some still alive. And depending, even like, let's say chaga mushroom that we use a lot. There's a doctor, Kirsty Kahloz at the University of Helsinki. She's by far number one in researching that specific mushroom. I'm in nowhere, the level of knowledge that she has of this single mushroom. And I guess what's different about me and maybe David or Dr. Kahloz or Dr. Lazarov is trying to cross this chasm to a more kind of, bring it in a maybe more fun playful and easily approachable way because if you get stuck in PubMed all day long reading mm-hmm. research papers it can get overwhelming mm-hmm. and it's it's a little counterintuitive like adaptogens are for those who don't know they're compounds that are non-toxic and they are non-specific which can be very mind-boggling And they restore balance. So they're a gas and a brake. And to a Western person, that's really mind-boggling. Like, how is this product a stimulant and a sedative? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the original work, which is really valuable, was hard to understand. And I guess what myself, you others, for Sigmatic have done is brought it to, A, in a way that's easy to understand. And, two, easy to consume. So. Mm You know, some of these are very bitter, very uncomfortable substances. So how do you consume them on a daily basis? Uh, mm-hmm. I think that was probably my gift to the mm-hmm. group. But I'm I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, both with herbalism and mushrooms and natural health. Mm-hmm. Similar product like functional medicine has evolved over a long time. Obviously, you and few others have become, you know, the faces of it as it is today. But it, you wouldn't be here unless there was a lot of like holistic practices over
1: the years. Mm-hmm. Amen, yeah, people. true. I mean, it's very true. I mean, you're being very humble too. And that's, that's what, really what I meant. You said it in a lot more of an eloquent way, but you took the obscure, you took the academic, you took the medical scientific literature and you put it in easy to understand ways. You popularized it, you educated people about it in a way that they could understand. And that's a, a major feat. This episode is brought to you by PEAK where plants and science intersect. Unlock the power of functional plants and unleash our collective potential with supplements of unrivaled efficacy, purity, and convenience. Intermittent fasting can have powerful health benefits. You know, I talk about it so much on The Art of Being Well. I talk about it with my patients and obviously in intuitive fasting in my book, especially for supporting healthy weight management and our metabolism and supporting our gut health but it can also be a challenging lifestyle to sustain. You might struggle with hunger, sugar cravings, fatigue and low energy, irritability and restlessness or trouble sleeping. Peak fasting teas are your secret weapon. they certainly are mine. Teas are blended with other functional plants specifically designed to shut down appetite, support your energy and mood and enhance the benefits of fasting. This is what you get in the peak fasting teas. You get concentrated catechins to support healthy ghrelin levels to combat hunger pangs. You get caffeine and L-theanine for sustained energy without the jitters. And polyphenols to support healthy skin, metabolism, mood, gut health, and more. All this in five award-winning flavors that won't break your fast. I even enjoy them when I'm not fasting. I have these teas all day long when I'm consulting patients. And you know how much I love this tea. And these teas, I talk about it at length in Intuitive Fasting as well. There are different flavors. All the different flavors have different benefits. So I've gotten into a routine. Let me break down my... Fasting tea routine. In the morning, I have the bergamot black fasting tea. It's gentler on an empty stomach and kickstarts energy without the crashes or jitters that you get from other caffeinated beverages. The black tea has antioxidants that feed the good gut bacteria and bergamot, which is a citrus from Calabria in Italy. Bergamot supports mood and I just love the taste of it as well. Around lunchtime, I have the ginger green and or the matcha green fasting tea, which works wonders for digestion and post-meal sleepiness. It makes a refreshing, delicious iced tea as well on the harder months or just whenever you want variety in your life with just enough caffeine for the rest of the day. And in the evening, I have the caffeine-free cinnamon herbal fasting tea. It's so delicious. It squashes sugar cravings and supports healthy blood sugar levels for the rest of the evening. Go to peaktea.com slash and use code Will Cole at checkout to get 5% off site-wide plus free shipping when you purchase a bundle. You can even shop my own curated fasting bundle. There's a reason Peak has over 15,000 five-star reviews. Try it yourself risk-free with their 30-day satisfaction guarantee. You either love it or you get your money back. With summer coming and people getting back into healthy habits, the fasting teas are selling fast. So be sure to stock up. That's peaktea.com, spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com slash Will Cole. And use code Will Cole for 5% off site-wide plus free shipping when you purchase a bundle. It's important to remember that our skin is our largest organ. So it's really important to know and vet and trust what you put on your skin, because what you put on your skin is largely absorbed in your body. And that's why I've been so excited about incorporating the Undaria algae body oil in my routine and something that I recommend for my patients as well. Osea's Undaria algae body oil instantly moisturizes and replenishes dry skin, leaving every inch silky smooth. Your skin is left super soft and glowing with Undaria algae acai pulp, and babasu seed oil. Osea soaks hand-harvested Andaria algae in barrels of oils for up to six months. The result is liquid gold, a rich, luxurious, never-greasy body oil, fragrant with sunny citrus, and top notes of sweet passion fruit. Oh, it smells so good. Osea creates skin and body care products powered by the sea. They've made clean, safe skincare products since 1996. They are vegan and cruelty-free. They responsibly source plant-derived ingredients, good for your skin and good for the planet. They are female-founded and family-operated by a mother and daughter team. So awesome. You can try Osea risk-free for 30 days and get free shipping on orders over $50. They even send free samples with every order. And get 10% off your first order with my promo code, WillCole, at OseaMalibu.com. That's 10% off with code WillCole at OseaMalibu, O-S-E-A-M-A-L-I-B-U.com. Let's talk about it. you You defined adaptogens. That's definitely a good place to start for people that don't realize it. I agree with you. That is definitely a common question that I get is, well, what if my cortisol stress levels, hormones are high or what if they're really low? Like which ones do matter? But that, let's kind of touch again on what you said is it has a regulating balancing effect no matter if your levels are high or low, no matter what hormone you're talking about. But can you talk about adaptogens uh, more, but also what are the hallmark adaptogens that, that you're the most excited about as far as the research and just the everyday practical application of them?
0: Yeah. So adaptogens can be herbs or mushrooms. In theory, they could also be animal-based products. But the three requirements that I mentioned is that it has to be non-toxic or a non-habit-forming. The reason for that is that the original researcher on adaptogens was commissioned by the Soviet army because they were giving soldiers amphetamines and other stimulants that they get addicted to or they had to let down the day after. Mm-hmm. So they try to find something that soldiers could take on a daily or almost daily basis. The second one, which we talked, it's non-specific. It's really difficult to understand, but maybe using um, like a symphony, it's not one instrument. So these adaptogens are not, you know, they're not sniper rifles. They're more of a shotgun approach where they try to support the body's big systems like the digestive system or the hormonal system or, and through that it's trying to help. So it's like in an indirect way to help you be healthier. And I can talk about that in detail. And then this this fact of, of like restoring balance, and there's different names for it. Indians call it rasayana, some call it tonics. But these are things you can take every day and they kind of like restore balance. And how do they do it? I would say back to the physiology and anatomy part, we have these bigger systems. So we obviously have very s- small parts of the body that operate very specific functions, but then we have these bigger groups of either organs or body functions that work together on a broad stroke. And I think a lot of these adaptogens impact the immune system, uh, the digestive system, and the hormonal system. So those tend to be like the three areas where they help. And how do they help? So for example, these mushroom adaptogens have polysaccharides that have specific beta glucans that your gut has bacteria and uh, fungal matter. So wherever on the skin or in your gut you have bacteria, you also have mushrooms. And then you have good bacteria or bad bacteria, but you also have good mushrooms or bad mushrooms. And then those mushrooms help with the the gut health. And by having a better gut health, you have gut-brain connection, but also absorption of nutrients. Mm -hmm. And those same compounds can then stimulate Uh, almost like a boot camp to your natural killer cells. So that goes to the immunity part. So those compounds can basically like reactivate your body's own defense without Mm -hmm. stimulating it because there are compounds that are immunostimulants that stimulate the immune system, but these are immunomodulatory. So they modulate the immune system. And then there's these specific compounds that One way or the other, support the hormonal balance. These are more of those really adaptogenic properties. And every plant kind of has their own. So rhodiola is a plant that my ancestors, the Vikings, took before going to battle. And he has a compound called rosavin that specifically usually somehow targets blood circulation or blood sugar. And through that, it tends to have an impact on our energy production or our cognitive functional recovery. So, and as far as what are the hallmark adaptogens, historically ginseng is the most famous one. And then there's these things that we call kind of ginsengs that are not actually ginsengs, like the Indian ginseng, which is ashwakanda, you know, the Peruvian ginseng, which is maca, the Amazonian ginseng, which is the sumer root, Siberian ginseng, which is Ulithero, which is actually one of the better studied ones. So Ginseng is probably the hallmark one, but now ashwagandha has passed ginseng and green juicing in Google searches. So I feel like the best Indian herb of ashwagandha has gained popularity. And another one that has had a lot of studies because of historical reasons is tulsi, uh, holy basil. Oh, basil. Yeah. And then there are some like, more familiar ones like licorice root. And then on the mushrooms, it's shiitake and reishi are the two studied ones. Mm-hmm. There's really fascinating ones to me, like shisandra, mm-hmm. um, but, but yeah, I think probably ginseng, ashwagandha, tulsi are the most famous one, and licorice. And then on the mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms and reishi
1: mm-hmm. mushrooms. And it's it's true to say that adaptogens were used on all continents, right? I mean, they were used traditionally. You can find in all cultures around the world, they had their own native adaptogens, right?
0: Yeah. And they were not called adaptogens right. until, you know 60s, more or less. They were just the top herb or the top natural ingredient. So every region has elevated a handful of things one, two, three things. So wherever you go and you go to a, a native culture, they have of all the thousands of things that they would consume yearly. If we consume dozens, they consume hundreds, if not thousands. And out of those, they've elevated few into the sacred status and that could be a green tea by the way it's some ceremonial matcha or a cacao in yucatan peninsula um, but mm. there's certain foods that are elevated above others and they have more sacred purpose and and those are often many of those are known also now as adaptogens in the modern research mm. so yeah every region has their own top adaptogens and we're just spoiled Because we can go to Amazon or whatever and buy out the best from every region, which is quite the luxury.
1: It is quite the privilege and luxury to live in the time that we live in. I'm curious on North America. I don't, what were some of the native North American revered adaptogens, things that we would consider adaptogens today?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. One first of all, I want to say the native is a really broad concept because really most foods can be traced back to few places on earth. And okay. a lot of things that we consider native, you know, Midwest is the, the land of meat and potatoes. Potatoes are from Peru and they're not really American. A lot mm. of Finnish people think potato is like the most finished food ever. So um, <laughs> there's a lot of history in that. I made fun of how all these herbs are called ginseng, but the ginseng family has... More than the most famous ginseng is this Asian ginseng called Panax ginseng. But there is a North American variety, which is a little bit more cooling. So the American ginseng is native to North America. And then on the mushroom side, lion's mane and chaga grow natively here. Are they originally from here? Probably not. But they came through Alaska or somehow got here. But they've been here a long, long time. So those are two examples of of herbs. Um, I love that. Commonly, commonly grow from North America that could be considered adaptogens.
1: Very cool. So people that are hearing about this and obviously what you've done with Four Sigmatic is like you said, take these obscure or sometimes bitter or they don't taste great and you've made them taste great because you're putting them in tonics, you're putting them in elixirs, you're putting them in coffees, you're putting them in skin really easy to use stuff. So we can talk about that in a little bit, but how were they typically used traditionally? Were they typically teased? Were they typically, I mean, how are how they used throughout history?
0: Yeah, I think this is one of the big shames that we've like isolated medicine into a capsule or a pill or something like that. Like that is the only form of medicine we're allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone a few times to the traditional Chinese medicine museum in Hang, Hangzhou, China. And I always thought it was like fascinating about that museum of how different ways they consume natural products. Like they would take a bath and making a bath and they would put herbs in the bath. Wow. And then feel great. And that makes total sense if you yeah. start to think about it because magnesium and all kinds of things that you could bathe in will absorb through your skin. Mm-hmm. But we somehow forgot that you can take medicine or supplements. Like you don't have to eat a pill to consume a supplement. Yeah. Right, necessarily. That can be a cream, even testosterone creams. But they would use a lot of creams, bats, ash. But the, the most common ways how people have always consume them is some sort of a liquid. so that could be a tea or a soup. Mm-hmm. And that depends about the substance. A lot of these substances need to be cooked, and some of them need to be extracted with lipids or alcohol. So you tend to find in most of natural medicine and herbalism, some sort of a tea or a decoction. So there's two types of teas. There's an infusion, which is your normal tea. So if you make English English breakfast tea, that's an infusion. Or if you cook it a really long time, almost like a bone broth, that's like a decoction. And then some use tinctures, which are those little bottles you see in natural product stores. That's alcohol extraction. And then there's lipids, so you make a soup. So if you go to Korea or Taiwan or... Japan, you often find like very medicine rich soups mm-hmm. and fats and heat in the soup. When you make a soup is actually an awesome to put healing properties. And then I'm sure you professionally treated people who have, for whatever reason, they have digestive issues or issues like that tends to be like the step one is some sort of a broth or yeah. a soup mm-hmm. is when you can't digest anything else. It's some yeah. sort of like a fatty nutrient dense soup often warm or room temperature. And that that tends to be the easiest way to consume a lot of healthy things.
1: Yeah, well said. No, absolutely. It's ground zero for people that have problems absorbing things or assimilating things, digesting things, which is very common to a varying degrees. Today, there's a lot of products on the market, you know, talking about having medicinal mushrooms, having adaptogens in it, having these things that you mentioned. And the And people are confused, like, what the heck, like, which one should I pick? And I mean, not all of these products are equal as far as the effectiveness or the bioavailability of it. So can you talk, like, what are some things that people should look out for when looking at these products? Obviously, they can go to Four Sigmatic, but just beyond that, like, what are some labels or things they could do? Or is there no way to tell? And you just need to trust the company.
0: It's hard to tell. I'm not going to lie, but I think you can tell. But before I get to that, I just want to say is like I feel like the health industry often becomes its own worst enemy. And we start to debate if force Sigmatic is better or worse than some other brand. Yeah. When the real enemy is probably like fast food and Monsanto or something like that, right? Well
1: said. Well and, said.
0: And and some people, my friends of mine, because there's a lot of lying in organic agriculture as well. So when they buy organic produce and they're like, I don't know if this is really organic, because a lot of people spray. I've just heard about this plant-based, very large protein company in the US who buys more plant-based pea protein from China than China actually produces organic pea protein. So it wow. makes you wonder is where is that pea protein from if they don't even have farms? So yeah, a lot of lying. But if you buy conventional non-organic produce, 100% of the time, you're going to get pesticides. If you buy organic produce maybe 10% of the time you're getting pesticides. So that's the kind of the trade-off. That being said, quality matters. And unfortunately, there's a lot of pixel dusting. So you buy a product that doesn't have enough ingredients. That's step one. Step two, it has enough ingredients, but it's not pure. So it's usually heavy metals and pesticides tend to be the two biggest problems, particularly heavy metals that you Mm -hmm. consume. Or they're formulated in a way that they don't absorb. Um, Mm -hmm. So- I think classic herbalism is like, is it the right plant? So there's surprisingly many supplements in the United States are not what they say they are. And there's a bunch of studies. You can go to consumer reports, including mushrooms. A lot of reishi mushroom supplements in the US are not actually reishi mushroom. And they, you can now lab test it. So consumer reports have, yeah, you think you're buying yeah. whatever vitamin and you actually are not buying it. And then is there enough of the vitamin? So is it actually what you think you're buying? Mm -hmm. So is it the adaptogen or mushroom or vitamin or supplement that you think you're buying? Is there enough of it? Is it in a form that absorbs? And that could be individual B vitamins could be an example of that. And then is it pure? But does it do the trick? Is it what it is? Does it do the trick? And is it pure? It's very hard to know even being in the industry and I have access to information maybe that others don't. So I understand how hard it would be. And there's not every brand. Yeah, the public image might be different than the truth. Mm -hmm. But a couple of the tricks I would say is one, organic is not ideal. It's not perfect, but it is like a stepping stone that many brands that cheat don't want to go through. Mm -hmm. So organic is a testament of something. So definitely do that. If you buy herbs, mushrooms, is it bitter? If it's super smooth, almost creamy, like a rice, then it probably is rice. If it's bitter, those bitter compounds are those health beneficial compounds. So if you just taste it, if you open a cap oh, buy a capsule, open it in your mouth. If it tastes horrific, probably is good. Mm. If it tastes smooth, dusty, probably is not good. And uh, and then funny last tip is, if you don't know if it's true or false, go see if they've sold sell, sell or sold at Costco. And this is kind of mind blowing, but Costco is not every product at Costco is healthy or good for you, but they make sure that what they sell, it, it actually is what they sell. So if they say it is organic, they go out of their way to make sure it's out organic, even beyond other retailers. If they say it is vitamin C, then they go out of their way to make sure it is vitamin C. Costco doesn't sell many items, but if it's sold at Costco, there's a proof that it is what they say it is. Doesn't mean it's healthy. Doesn't mean it's good for you, but at least what it says on the label is what you're getting. So you don't have to buy it at Costco, but if you know they sell it at Costco, it's like one stamp of approval.
1: I love that. I did not know that. I love Costco, but I didn't know there's a Costco litmus test. for. for yeah, they, knowing, yeah, Costco
0: actually visits every facility every year at the brand's expense. So they're going to force, and they do what we've done always at Four Sigmatic, but very few brands do, which is a positive release. So basically when the product is manufactured, it doesn't leave the manufacturing facility until a third-party lab test confirms it. We've always done that when we've been here in the US, and very few brands do it, but
1: Costco <laughs> requires it. So great, um, great tips, Tara. I love that. There's so much about fertility that's a complete mystery for people. That's where the modern fertility hormone test comes in. Think of your fertility hormones as tiny detectives, they can bring you tons of insight into your egg count, reproductive timeline and even possible outcomes for egg freezing and IVF. Everything you need to know to get proactive about your fertility. Being proactive about your fertility is exactly why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with your doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash you can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on Modern Fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, your hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options for next steps. If you want kids today or maybe one day in the future, you need information to make the decision that's best for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Will Cole. That means your test will cost $139 $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost you at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash Will Modernfertility.com slash Will Cole. Today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive daily nutritional beverage. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients it needs to thrive and feel amazing. Our busy schedules, poor sleep, exercise, the environment, stress, or simply not eating enough of the right foods can leave us deficient in key nutrients. This is where Athletic Greens can help. It is a life-changing nutritional habit. Their daily all-in-one superfood powder is your nutritional essential. It is by far the easiest and most delicious nutritional habit that you can add to your daily routine today and empower towards better habits. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all of the best things. I'm consulting patients all day long, and I have to be on my game. I have to have energy. I have to be sharp. I have to hold space for people that are going through really serious health issues, and that's why I love the convenience, and all the nutrition I'm getting from Athletic Greens. Because just one tasty scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, a probiotic, a green superfood blend, and more that all work synergistically to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increasing energy and focus, aiding with digestion, and supports a healthy immune system, all without the need to take multiple products or pills. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, never changing, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest scientific literature, producing 53 improvements over the last decade and counting. They invest in the most absorbable, bioavailable, and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. Right now, Athletic Greens is offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. Just simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Will Cole and join health experts like myself, athletes, health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash Will Cole and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. So the dose or the amount, like let's just say I want to integrate these things into my life. I want to integrate adaptogens in my life is there an upper limit? People ask me this, how much can I have? Is more better? What's the lowest amount I can, I can take to get the benefits? What are some go-to things that people can think about?
0: Yeah. More is not better. Better is better. Um, That being said, we started with the definitions. The definition number one was that it's non-toxic and non-habit forming. So, you know, we, used to joke with the people I started for Sigmatic with, they would joke a lot, is like the only way to go far is to go a bit too far. And with these natural substances, it's pretty safe to take larger amounts. So I usually start with the normal dose, then I double the dose, then I double again, then I double again. And if I've doubled twice and I don't really feel the benefit, I think there's usually something wrong, mm-hmm. you know? if smaller doses every day might actually be better than mega dosing. But if I don't, if I mega dose and I don't, feel something in my body shifting, that's like one, mm-hmm. um, one data point that I look at. Mm-hmm. So I like to actually overdose and then I come back down on the dose, uh, depending if I'm treating a specific thing or is it just for a lifestyle, but, um, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty safe with adaptogens to take a lot, but you don't want to jump straight to the mega dose maybe. So kind of build it up mm-hmm. and individuals are different. And then some formulations are different. Like with many nutrients, vitamin C enhances the absorption of a lot of active compounds, black pepper and spices. That's why the power of Indian food is partly because those spices absor- enhance their absorption of certain mm-hmm. things. So I do think that formulation matters a lot mm-hmm. and any indigenous cultures never just consumed one herb or one supplement at a time, mm-hmm. but they always had a blend, but don't be afraid to experiment mm-hmm. and increase the dose a lot more than what the recommended daily dose tends to be on the lower end. Mm-hmm. It's on a bell curve. It's something you could take every day. It's not the max dose.
1: Got it. Well said. Cause I, I, you hear some people over the years, and they all say like I, I didn't see much change when I started taking that, and you wonder the amount of dysregulation that's going on in the average person, the amount of inflammation, the amount of gut-brain access issues. That taking a small amount, it's, sometimes it's not the product or the or the medicinal whatever natural compound that they're using. It's the therapeutic threshold that they haven't reached yet. Yeah. Do you find that to be the case? Yeah, no.
0: definitely. So there's. There's maintenance phase and there's a buildup phase. People who are in supplements, maybe creatine is something they've heard about doing this. Vitamin D might be another one where parts of the year when there's less sunlight, you build up higher because it's a fat-soluble vitamin. And then other times of the year, you have a maintenance dose. Or if you're sick, you take more. If you're Mm -hmm. less sick. So absolutely true. And I don't think enough people realize that. The other way to think about it is, especially if you're going very targeted, is which part of the body are you trying to impact? Hmm. Adaptogens are cool because they impact multiple parts of the body, but let's take the skin. If you have a skincare product, you do have to use it for at least 30 days, depending on how old you are, because that is the rate that the skin rebuilds itself. So if you use it, one to two weeks, like, what what are you doing? Like, that's not the rate that the cells really reproduce themselves. So what about gut health? Well, that takes a little longer. So if you have gut issues, you're probably not going to get a full healing in 30 days. Mm -hmm. Um, It might take quite a bit longer than that. And then spine and eyes and brain are even longer. So if you want to help your brain, it's not a quick fix necessarily because of blood brain barrier, because of a lot of factors. So how mm-hmm. quickly does that body part or that system turn mm-hmm. and certain party parts turn really fast, some of mm-hmm. it slower. And that's where you might need an expert like yourself or someone you consult to ask is like, Hey, I have a rash on my skin. I really want to work on this. And like, how long should it, should I expect to get results? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people expect the same amount of results at the same time for every part of the body. It's like you start to work out. And you're not going to get a massive bicep in mm-hmm. four weeks. Like right. that's just not going to happen. Like you have to have realistic expectations.
1: Yeah. Brilliantly said. So if somebody doesn't have a functional medicine doctor or a herbalist or whatever, they're trying to figure this out on their own. I guess it depends, of course. But for you, you mentioned titrating up and, and going to the higher dose or starting up and going back down and some of these issues are cumulative, it takes time, you mentioned through the skin, how long would you take something at a a dosage before you would increase? Would you give it a week? Would you give it a day? I mean, what what would be your general thoughts on that?
0: Actually, my first advice, unless you're really into this, is first step is try to make it fun. I learned um, when I did nutritional coaching myself, I learned that even professional athletes who get paid a lot of money to take certain things will not take certain things unless it's fun and convenient. So Mm -hmm. if you don't have a a system or a routine or a regimen where you take a handful of pills every day or whatever, first try to see if there's a way to incorporate these into something you love or something you're doing already.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Because then you don't have to worry about the time horizon as much. Mm -hmm. If it's inconvenient, difficult, you have to go out of your way, it tastes horrible, any time period will be tough. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a chronic illness or some issues, is I would say step one is can I make this fun or super easy? Mm-hmm. And then every other answer after that is easier than if it's really difficult. I tend to do change dosages every day or two days pretty quickly. Uh, some other people might want to take a week. If you want to be super scientific, most scientific studies are on 12 weeks or longer. So that's a really patient person's game. And I've kind of like looked at the science already and looked into indigenous cultures and how they've used it. And I try to apply some of the existing wisdom. So I'm already making decisions on like a field that is a lot more narrow, but if you really want to play it safe, you really should not change anything at least before two months at a time, but then you can only run X many experiments a year, but then they're really legit, like really good stuff. Mm-hmm. I just don't operate. I operate a little more intuitively myself, but.
1: Yeah. Um, I agree with but, that.
0: And then also the hard part is, let's say stress is a factor you're working on. We're not equally stressed 12 months in the year. So if you do this two month experiment in May, it's not the same stress as in December. It's not the same stress as, You know, birthday or wedding or funeral or new job or vacation. So it's also hard to run experiments because your outside world is shifting constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why I prefer the more intuitive patterns and Mm -hmm. and listen to my body on both dosing. Mm
1: -hmm. That's great advice. So, so I know that you got this question back back in the day, probably more than you do now, but still there's a massive learning curve that still needs to be had in our culture today. When people think of mushrooms, it's synonymous with psychedelics and psilocybin. And can you dispel that and clarify the difference between the mushrooms we're talking about and the psychedelic mushrooms?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, still today, most people, when I say mushrooms, they are really interested or really not interested. That's a starting point. And then when they (laughs) think in their head, they think of psilocybin or magic mushrooms, or they think of like, you know, the mushrooms you put on a pizza and they're wondering like, oh, that's fine, but what's the benefit? Like, that's not that good for you. And just generally mushrooms or fungi. So fungi, they're in biology. They're one of the kingdoms, similar to plants, animals, bacteria. And when something is a kingdom, there's a lot of different kinds the ones that we can, we normally consume can be divided into three groups broad stroke very high level is edible mushrooms which is culinary mushrooms so that's your portobello mushroom that's your chanterelle bolety morels they taste good or many of them taste good they have fiber some vitamins and minerals some b vitamins d vitamins some minerals they're similar to vegetable i would say even though In biology, they're not a vegetable. Then you have psychedelic mushrooms, some legal, some illegal. They impact how you see and feel things. They attack certain neurotransmitters. Psilocybin would be the most famous one. They're slowly getting legalized. There's many different kinds. None of them are addictive. There's no lethal dose. So in their own world, they're pretty safe. And that's why I think they are getting legalized, kind of following the footsteps of marijuana but they're psychoactive. They Mm. change how you see the world. And then there's these functional mushrooms that Four Sigmatic is specialized in, which are more of adaptogenic. They're kind of somewhere in between. They're not as physiologically impactful as a psychedelic, but they're more physiologically impactful than the culinary mushrooms. They impact your body, your mood, how you feel through things like occasional stress support, immune support. Um, they might also have vitamins and minerals, uh, but they impact other parts of the body. So mm-hmm. they're somewhere between a psychedelic mm-hmm. and um, a culinary mushroom, but they are legal. Mm-hmm. So think of them like your nature's own supplement, if you may.
1: I love that. Some of my favorite books you have written, I love Healing Mushrooms, it's very well written. It's really a deep dive into this stuff we're talking about people that are listening. And if you want to talk about that book, it's amazing. And we can. I also want to talk about the Christmas book, which has changed my life. And I read it to my kids now. You sent it to me, I think, two years ago, probably. Right? Like, two years ago? Yeah, two but, years ago. Yeah. yeah. I read it to my kids every Christmas season because it's so fascinating. And I never knew any of this stuff beforehand. Can you talk a little bit about like what that book talks about and the symbolism and the history, the rich history of mushrooms and connecting it to the, hol- the Christmas season?
0: Yeah. So the book is called Santa's Soul shrooms and it's like a very visually beautiful um, children or adult children's story about a little girl who learns about the history of Christmas and Santa Claus from her family over one evening. So it's just one little story. And many of our traditions, whatever the traditions are, like getting married or funeral uh, or big celebrations like Halloween, Easter, they have a long history. They didn't just come out of thin air. Um they have, there's a reason why we celebrate certain things. And a lot of those stories have changed over time, partly because getting commercialized, partly because every generation adds their own twist to something. And probably the biggest offender of where the origins of the story is to what it is today is Santa Claus. Santa Claus is arguably the most famous person in the world. It doesn't matter what religion, country it is. Everybody kind of knows Santa. Um, but the Santa story is eight to 10,000 years old. And it traces back to this indigenous culture, the last indigenous culture left in Europe called the Sami. And it got to the U.S. through New York. The Dutch, who used to run New York, it was called New Amsterdam, brought it to uh, New York. The Dutch got it from the Germans. A lot of people think Santa Claus is St. Nicholas. It's, uh, and they think St. Nicholas is German, except J- St. Nicholas was actually Turkish. And the the Germans got the St. Nicholas story from the Italians. The Italians stole the grave of St. Nicholas from Turkey. And the Turkish were part of the Orthodox Christian church, and they got it from this indigenous group. Now, there's a long history, and along the way, the story has evolved. But there's no reindeers in Turkey. But where reindeers are domestic is from these reindeer herders called the Sami. And they used to celebrate Christmas during winter solstice. We used to be the same day when the Gregorian calendar, Julian calendar shifted the days by a few days, but those used to be the same day. And it was a ceremony where you would talk to ancestors. And in order to prepare for that celebration, this uh, Sami had, they have a shaman called Noida who were a cave like Santa Claus, and we would travel in a reindeer, which was their domesticated mammal for transportation, and would collect these psychedelic mushrooms that are legal in every state in the U.S. except um, Tennessee, called Amanita muscaria. Guaranteed everyone listening has heard and knows Amanita, but just, you just don't know that you know it. But if you look at the mushroom emoji on your phone, It's a red mushroom with white dots. That is the mushroom. That's the same mushroom Super Mario eats. That's the same mushroom in every Disney movie. And it's almost completely legal psychedelic. Now, do not go and consume this mushroom. It's not a mushroom you want to start a psychedelic experience. But it was a mushroom that the Salmons would take under the spruce tree. So spruce tree is the tree that you see in the Rockefeller Center. That's the Christmas tree. And this psychedelic mushroom happens to grow under the tree and the shaman would dried on the branches of the tree. So if you go to old Christmas time photos, not that long time ago, you will see that instead of red ornament balls hanging from the spruce tree, there was actually red Amanita muscaria, psychedelic mushrooms hanging from the tree. Again, you don't have to go back more than 100 years and every Christmas photo would have instead of these red ornaments, balls would have red psychedelic mushrooms. And those get dried and then brought to with the reindeer during winter solstice in Lapland to a teepee called kota, like this semi-permanent teepee. And it often gets snowed in. So you would enter through the chimney. There was a fireplace in the center. And then you would consume the psychedelic, which by the way, reindeers also love. There's a BBC documentary with Richard Attenberg where he comments how these reindeers crave this psychedelic mushroom. So there's for every part, to why there's a star on top of the Christmas tree, to why we have stockings, why there's elves, uh, why do they have pointy hats? There's a ancient historical reason and story for it, and a lot of people don't know, know it, and I felt it would be fun to make a children's book about it, mm-hmm. to tell it in a playful way, With and then people can do whatever they want with that knowledge, because mm-hmm. the origins of of these, like, Santa Claus is really beautiful. It's about family. It's about remembering our ancestors, setting intentions for the next year. Um, Unfortunately, some of those been quite commercialized, but Mm -hmm. the origins with or without psychedelics is very beautiful.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that. Well said. The book's amazing. My kids love it. They do. They did a great job. I have a kind of a selfish question. All of these questions are selfish actually, because these are all things I like, I wanted to pick your brain about, but of all the products that you've put out with Four Sigmatic, like what are your, obviously you wouldn't put them out if you didn't love them. I know that, but on like the top, of the top list, like which ones are you like the most excited about that you love the most and the most proud of?
0: Yeah, they're like kids, so you yeah. can't really choose a favorite. But I would say right now, where I am in life, um, I just moved from um Los Angeles to Austin, Texas. We have a new home. We're expecting our first child with my partner. So right now, I'm like trying to also use our products in a way that is convenient for for my partner. And like having a child is really stressful and moving is really stressful. So I notice that a lot of times I end up making this. we have this hot chocolate, which is like an organic, low sugar um, heirloom cacao made hot cocoa. Chocolate is amazing for a lot of reasons. And he has this Ricci mushroom that is very like calming, grounding earthing. So I noticed myself making for her and for myself, a lot of this reishi mushroom, Mm. uh, hot chocolate. So hot chocolate that calms you down has become a staple. You know, she's, um, belly's getting bigger. So I rub, we have this like, um, superfood serum that is made with olive oil and avocado oil. It's good for the skin, but I rub it on her belly. And then I'm trying to get her to have more calories, but the belly's really tiny because of the baby squishing Mm -hmm. the belly. So like, I'm trying to, she's always hungry, but she can only eat so much. So smoothies have been very easy. So I make, we have this, um, like a plant-based protein powder without gums and natural flavors. Mm -hmm. And there's particularly one where we use real vanilla that she loves. So I make smoothies with this vanilla plant-based protein of in the morning i make a hot chocolate in the evening and then i rub this like superfood serum on her (laughs) so those are probably the ones that have been as of recently relevant personally when i travel and i'm by myself we make this probiotic coffee so we make a coffee that combines third wave organic coffee uh, mushroom and adaptogen supplements and then 1 billion cfu's of heat-resistant probiotics so Mm -hmm. That's a product probably when I'm on the go that I consume the most yeah. these days, but I can't choose a favorite.
1: All the ones you picked are some of my favorites too. Honestly, I, I, the coffee itself, itself has such a cult following. People love it. My brother-in-law helped people. He was like, have you had this four-sigmatic coffee? He's like, <laughs> like, yes, I've been having it for years. Yeah, uh, but, well, it's
0: yeah. easy to like it because to, to my earlier point is, you know, it's like, it can be overwhelming even if you're into health. You're know, yeah. like, oh, this year I'm going to get in great shape or I'm going to do this for my health. It's like a lot. You learn, like obviously everybody listening are already doing the first important step, which is just learning and figuring mm-hmm. out. But there's so many things to take and like to do. Like you got to do hit workouts three times a week. You got to walk 15,000, 10,000 steps a day. You got to drink X gallons of water, try fasting. And it's like a lot. And mm-hmm. some people are aware where you can be intuitive with your fasting, eating, exercising, and some people want a regimen and it can get hard. And then Mm -hmm. you have a handful of pills and capsules that you're swallowing. Mm -hmm. So I think that coffee has a cult following because it's so easy. Like you Mm -hmm. just drink coffee that tastes like coffee. That's like, and then week to a month later you start noticing, it's like, I feel a lot better.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: then people are, that's, you know,
1: they keep coming yep. back for more. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> in, in a good way. So you're you mentioned moving out of California, and tell me about that. I mean, I know that there's this CalExit is going on. My in-laws. I mean, my wife's like a generation old, like Los Angelino. Her great grandparents were there. I mean, it's they're all in Pennsylvania now. My father-in-law was L.A. sheriff. I, I mean, all everyone like my my wife's siblings are all gone. And it's not just my in-laws. This is a lot of people that I know yeah. with work and wellness are going to Austin, Texas. They're going to Miami. They're going to Utah. They're going to Arizona. They're going to other places. So, to, what what precipitated that for you?
0: Yeah, my story might be slightly different than theirs <laughs> since I'm not originally from the U.S. and right. I've lived in ten countries. So, I lived in L.A. five years, and I think normally I live in a country or city two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. The, there for work. So I knew probably eventually I'll leave anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was not as married to the city as many others are. I still love it. I think it's awesome. We, when we knew that we were expecting our child, we wanted to move to a smaller city. I wanted to move to Hawaii and we went there for a month during uh, COVID and it was, it's already quiet and now it's extra quiet and it was a, a bit too quiet for my partner. So we tried to find a smaller city and Austin felt like a good compromise of health and wellness community mm-hmm. still has nature close by and amazing trails but it's it was like also has some of the benefits of being in like a smaller city mm-hmm. uh, still a city um, yeah so we felt it was a good compromise she loves you know plant based food and live music so Austin is a great city for it <laughs> yeah i think why people are moving you know I don't mind high taxes. I come from Scandinavia. We have some of the <laughs> highest taxes. I was willing to move to Hawaii, which is the only place almost as high as California. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do understand that then if you do that, you want to get value for your money. Um, so in Scandinavia, you have free health care, really no homeless people, uh, free universities. And then I think a lot of people that I've talked to feel like in California, you don't get value for, for your mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. I think the other reason why why people are moving is it is you know depending where you live it's getting pretty rough. Like you go to San Francisco, you go to LA, it's not really safe or mm-hmm. pretty. And uh, the amount of dirt and crime and issues that there are. So if you're paying premium, the rents and you know house prices are insane. So if you're paying that, do you want to have those crime constantly on like? Like I've had almost every one of my friends, somebody has broken into their house in Venice where I was. And so it's happens all the time. So Mm -hmm. if you're having to pay so much, like you probably want safety and certain quality of life. And then finally with COVID, um, four Sigmatic was always remote. Yeah. Like that was the origins, but I think a lot of other people now have the luxury and they're finally realizing that maybe you don't need to be in a specific place. like maybe. You can work remotely online, Mm -hmm. you travel a couple of times a year to meet people and go to conferences, Mm -hmm. get together, but day to day, you don't need to commute. You don't need to drive an hour and a half in traffic. Mm -hmm. Like you could spend that time exercising, meditating people like, I don't have time to exercise and meditate. Well, if you take an hour away from your daily commute, that gives you a lot of time to do a lot of things. So yeah. I think those are some of the big reasons why big cities like New York and LA, San Francisco have had a mass exodus. And I think the medium-sized cities are particularly winning. Nashville have done well. Austin, mm-hmm. I think some mountain towns, Park City, yeah. Jackson Hole, those seem to be places where people are gravitating towards. Yeah,
1: well said. So the show's called The Art of Being Well, and you have woven... These concepts that you live by and you authentically live this life that you're talking about and the, using the things that, that you believe in, that you put out into the world because of this is who you are. Something that we haven't talked about so far that I, I really would be curious to hear your answer on this, especially with the new baby coming into the world, is what do you know now that you wish you knew 20 years ago? About this art of being well, as it relates to your work and the things you're passionate about.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And um, by the way, congrats on the on the new Thanks. podcast. Thanks,
1: man. Appreciate um, it.
0: Yeah, I was lucky enough to grow up in this like Nordic wellness culture, where a lot of things like wild food and foraging and sauna and meditation and things like that were pretty normal. And then I went to an environmental school that my great, great grandfather helped to found. So I was like surrounded by in this very, both by the nation and the society, but also in a micro scale, the school that had like 50 students, it was mm-hmm. pretty much like was pretty normal. A lot of things that are now trendy, including fasting and other things. I would say studying nutrition and reading the books. I definitely as when I was, let's say I was 20 more like routine and regimen focused, which I think is helpful to get results and learn what's working. Mm -hmm. But the older I get, the more I'm focused on intuitive aspects. And also understanding, which I probably intellectually understood then, but did not live by, which seasonal eating. Uh, We ate really seasonally just because Finland was so cold and dark, but it was not a conscious choice. And when I started doing nutrition, there were certain meals that were really clean that I would eat year round. Mm -hmm. And I didn't fully understand that there's seasons in nature that certain foods are better. And there's a reason why dandelion comes in the spring after a dark winter. And you you might want to do a liver detox then and yada, yada, yada. And then we have seasons in our own life. Like Now my life before a baby is probably very different than after a baby. And adjusting the, that intuitively to the seasonalities and changes was, I was not there. I was like year round, this is the model, this, how much you fast, these are the calories, you know, these are the macros and, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's the best <laughs> way to go about. It's yeah. also not the most fun way to go about. So, you know, people ask like, you know, are you vegan? Are you paleo? You do, do, do. do. It's like, yeah. It's like, try not to put those labels in. It's kind of a cliche, but it's very true. It's like, mm-hmm. I try to tell my meat loving friends is like, try going two months without any meat. And then the people who are fully plant-based, I'm like, maybe some organs or bone broth or bone marrow would, would do well. And if you feel, mm-hmm. if you're cold and, and trying out different things, mm-hmm. and that's very hard because we, food is such a big part of our culture and who we are. And then we tie ourselves to that. And the ability to, you know, shift from like a pendulum feels like you're selling yourself. Um, But that's not necessarily it. You're being intuitive. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's definitely like our body's very comfortable with the routine and, you know, that's both a blessing and a curse. But being able to listen to your body and break through it is also super valuable. And I was not, I didn't know that when I was 20.
1: I love that. Well said. The rhythms of nature from an ancestral health perspective and the rhythms of our lives. I think those are both really profound things that people could start to explore. I think that's very wise. Taro, I appreciate you so much. I could talk to you all day long. You'd like to. (laughs) Me too. Well, for the info. (laughs) Thanks, man.
0: Thanks for having me on.
1: Love that conversation. If you want to learn more about my friend, Taro, you can check it all out at foursigmatic.com. That's F-O-U-R F-O-U-R-sigmatic, Sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com. At the end of every episode, I'll be answering a question from one of you guys. Nothing is off limits. Ask me anything. And you can send your questions over to me on Instagram or Facebook. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies, wellness trends, and ways to approach overall mental, emotional, and physical health and well-being. Thanks for those. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else is on your mind. All right, now it's time for another Ask Me Anything. Today's question is from Madeline. Madeline asks, hi, Dr. Cole. I know you see a lot of complex health issues at your telehealth center. What would you say are the most missed underlying health issues that you see clinically? Well, great question, Madeline. I would say, okay, it's hard for me to pick. There's a lot of different variables to consider, and it's definitely a confluence of different variables. It's rarely just one thing. But if you want to say what are the bigger things that get missed conventionally, meaning these are people, and most of my patients fall into this category, they're extremely bright people, very erudite when it comes to investigating their health and being informed on their health. I mean, our top patient base, just to give you like a little bit of statistics, our top patient base are people in the health and medicine, conventional medicine world. So they're actually formally trained in medicine. And people that are maybe even just peripherally just in, interested in this, their health coaches or stuff like this, or we see a lot of nurses as well that are extremely bright and, you know, well-read on, on health and medicine, obviously. And we see a lot of people that have been forced to um, learn about their health because they're doing everything their doctor's telling them to do, but they're still struggling. So again, I am i don't see very many basic cases, meaning I'm very beyond the basic getting really granular when we need to clinically to see what's missing because they are doing all the things, quote unquote, but they're still spinning their wheels. They're probably better off than they would be if they weren't doing all these things, but they're still not where they need to be. And they're stuck at this plateau and there's missing pieces to their health puzzle. So you are correct, Madeline. This is the type of case that I see when I'm consulting patients online. So uh, the bigger pieces of the puzzle that I oftentimes see missing is if I had to say number one, let's just say it this way, autoimmunity as a whole, that's, that doesn't tell us the entire piece of the puzzle, but it's people that are somewhere on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. They may not be diagnosable, But there's three main stages that I talk about. There's silent autoimmunity, and then there's autoimmune reactivity, and then there's autoimmune disease on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. This autoimmune reactivity, meaning they are symptomatic, they don't feel good. If you run the right labs, you're going to find data to show autoimmune components or inflammatory components to their case. But they're not checking all the boxes of conventional medicine to be told they have an autoimmune disease. So researchers estimate that by the time somebody's diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, it's about four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis when things were brewing on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum. So I wanna be clear here that I see a lot of people in this autoimmune reactivity part of this spectrum and then people, of course, that are diagnosable and that already have been diagnosed conventionally. But my point here is no matter where you're at on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum, my job as a functional medicine practitioner is to say, what's going on here? Let's understand it. Let's give people answers as to why they're going through what they're going through. And more importantly, let's figure out what's driving this inflammatory cascade. That's what's driving these flare-ups so we can start to untangle them and start moving the needle in a positive direction for them. So whether that's full remission or a a dramatic decrease of the severity and frequency of their flares, I want to do whatever it takes to start restoring that person's resilience capacity and calming things down in their life so they can start living their life again. There's over a hundred different autoimmune diseases that we recognize as autoimmune today in in mainstream medicine. And there's 40 different health problems above that 100 that at least have an autoimmune component. So I would say, that seeing people on this autoimmune inflammation spectrum is widely missed because it's so reactionary in the conventional medicine oftentimes where It's four to 10 years prior to that diagnosis. These things oftentimes didn't happen overnight for most people. So whether you're diagnosed or not diagnosed, my job is to say what's causing these symptoms and you know your body. And I want to A, listen to you and hold space for you and validate what you're going through and let's figure out what's going on. So I would say that. But then the next two things that come to mind are things that can trigger Autoimmunity, Because look, I mean, when the immune system turns against itself, it's losing recognition of self, which is what's going on on a physiological level. When there's something called molecular mimicry and the immune system's tagging whatever we're talking about, whether it be the thyroid or the joints or the brain or the gut is attacking it as a virus or bacteria, that's autoimmune. When the immune system turns against itself, that's where it's, you know, if you break that word down, that's what we're talking about here. Um, And that's a very specific type of an inflammatory response. Not all inflammatory problems are autoimmune, but all autoimmune problems are inflammatory. So it's really important to differentiate the two. We see a lot of people with inflammation that doesn't necessarily mean they have autoimmunity, but we see a lot of very specific autoimmune type issues or at least having autoimmune components. But what's triggering that autoimmunity? So the other things that I see on labs are oftentimes that get missed in conventional medicine are biotoxin issues, things like mold. Uh, Mold toxins or mycotoxins are oftentimes missed on conventional labs. And we have to run very specific labs to uh, see if mycotoxins or other biotoxins are at play here. And those mycotoxins and mold toxins can trigger autoimmune issues in some people. Some people are just genetically more sensitive to things like mycotoxins or mold toxins, and they're more prone to those mycotoxins triggering some autoimmune inflammatory response or things like chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, brain fog, panic attacks, et cetera. Uh, And then the next pathogen that I see oftentimes that can trigger inflammation levels in people's body are Lyme disease and Lyme disease co-infection. So some tick-borne or insect-borne Bacteria like Borrelia burgdorferi or Bartonella babesia, these are co-infections that can drive flare-ups in some people and can trigger things like chronic fatigue syndrome and other autoimmune type problems. So the problem is these labs are not being ran. The conventional labs are very poor for catching chronic conditions like this. So you can run the conventional Western blot test, but it's notoriously not dependable for many people that have chronic Lyme. And remember, all of these labs are snapshots in time. So they're, you're not always going to get the data that you want with one snapshot. So oftentimes it takes multiple labs and more comprehensive labs to understand it. So we run more comprehensive uh, Lyme labs like uh, Armin and Igenics to look at co-infections and a more broad look at chronic Lyme issues. And then for mold, we can run some conventional labs like TGF-beta-1 and C4A and C3A and uh, MSH and other labs like this. And then uh, other tests that can actually measure mycotoxins tests, which is typically urine tests that can measure mold toxins in the body. I'm going to actually, in upcoming solo episodes, I'm going to talk more about these issues at length but for now to answer your question madeline these are probably the most commonly missed things that i see on an almost hourly basis throughout the day not to say everybody that i'm seeing has these issues but a configuration of autoimmunity or other types of things that are driving autoimmunity uh, like mycotoxins mold toxins and co-infections to lyme are probably the most commonly missed i would say great question madeline That's it for today. Thanks again for hanging out with me. I would love to know what you think about the art of being well. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to drwillcole.com podcast. I'll be back again next Thursday and I hope you will too. Talk soon.